Amen. Amen. And then let us uh, turn to Lord's Day 4, page 204, in the smaller forms and prayers. And uh, we'll be looking especially at questions uh, 9 and 10, with some reference back also to question and answer 7. Uh, but we'll read all of Lord's Day 4, even as we'll be coming back, Lord willing, next week to look at question and answer 11. And I'll say more about that in a moment. Uh, but for now, let's read all of Lord's Day 4 together, beginning on page 204, with question and answer 9. I'll read the question. Let's together say the answers. But doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? No, God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, at the instigation of the devil, in willful disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Question 10, will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with the sin we are born with as well as our actual sins. God will punish them by a just judgment both now and in eternity, having declared Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Question 11. But isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful, but he is also just. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. This is the confession uh, we hold in common. Let us turn now to the Holy Word of God, back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Now, uh, Genesis 2 last week, Genesis 3 now. I said we'd be focusing on question answers 9 and 10 and come back to uh, question answer 11. Uh, that's because we're not going to make it through uh, the three points in in your bulletin outlines. We are we're going to focus on the fall with some words about mercy this morning, and Lord willing, we'll come back next week. And in the same chapter, we'll focus on mercy, uh, even as we'll make some reference to the punishment and, and separation that the fall brings. So our third point, if you're looking in your bulletin outline, mercy is, uh, is essentially that's next week's sermon. And uh, if you want to take notes, you can do fall and then point two, punishment serpent. And then point three, punishment Adam 
and Eve. And we'll read the whole chapter, but we'll be looking especially at verses 1 to 7, verse 14, and verses 16 to 19. Looking especially at 1 to 7, 14, and 16 to 19. So this is part, this is part 1, and next week, Lord willing, is, is part 2. But we'll read uh, all of Genesis chapter 3. The word of God, we begin at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So far the reading of the Holy Word of God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to Genesis 3, we come to what could be called the second beginning. Uh, Genesis 1 is the beginning. It's the first beginning. It's the creation as a whole. It is creation which is good through and through and ultimately after the sixth day, very good as God says. But the world is not very good. The world is not even good anymore. And so where did the beginning of suffering and death come from? Well, this is the the second beginning. This is the beginning of suffering and death. This is the fall. This is Genesis 3. And together, Genesis 1 to 3 form the foundation of a right understanding of why our world is the way it is, of why we are the way we are. And so, coming to these foundational chapters with foundational truths. We focus on on one of those foundational truths this morning. Our theme is this. Man's sin plunged our world into suffering and death. And again, our, our three points are fall, and a little different than in the bulletin, punishment serpent is point two, and point three is punishment Adam and Eve. And so to begin at the fall, we begin at verse 1. And uh, immediately we have a a word uh, translated as crafty in the ESV, which, as John Calvin once said it, uh, at its base it just means subtle. And it can be used either to refer to a a positive kind of, of understanding, knowledge, wisdom, or to refer to a uh, evil subtlety to a craftiness. And uh, Moses may have indeed chosen this word with a double meaning on purpose. Notice that until we get to the middle of verse 1, it's not a, a negative thing. It is, it is how the Lord God made it. Uh, he was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And so in the first part of the verse, we can think of that positive sense of the word. God is saying that the serpent was more intelligent than the other beasts of the field. And we know that some animals are more intelligent than others. And so dogs, for example, are more intelligent than many, if not in some ways all other animals. And so we even call the dog, what? Man's best friend sometimes. Well, it's not surprising that different animals were more intelligent before the fall as well. 
And what Moses is, is basically telling us here is that this was originally man's best friend. This was part of the animals that God had made, and God had made this animal more intelligent. Now, what does the devil do? Moses is using this word in both senses of the word, because this is not just the serpent. This is the animal which the devil, called by uh, John in uh, Revelation chapter 20, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. This is the animal that the devil chooses to possess. And it's not surprising that the devil chose the most intelligent, chose the animal that we might call man's original best friend in order to cloak himself in his approach to mankind. And now this animal is not just intelligent in the good sense, now this animal possessed by the fallen angel, the devil, is crafty in all of the wicked senses of that word. And so the serpent possessed by the devil begins to speak. And uh, immediately the devil questions God at the end of verse 1. Eve in her response in verse 2 exaggerates the commandments of God. Into verse 3 she says that God said, neither shall you touch it. This is not what God said. Right away we stop and uh, brothers and sisters, the pattern of questioning God, exaggerating what God has said, and then what does this lead into? Then it leads into the very first outright lie ever spoken upon the earth. Verse 4, you will not surely die. Brothers and sisters, this is the pattern that we must still be on guard against, questioning God, exaggerating what God has truly said in his word, and then lying about who God is and what he has said. As we are told by Jesus, recorded in John 8, verse 44, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And we see that right here. In verse 4, the first outright lie spoken upon the earth. And the outright lie goes with, in verse 5, slander. As the devil insinuates that God made up the law about the tree of knowledge of good and evil because God was petty and jealous and did not want mankind to be like him. And then what is the response? Eve digests the lies and slander, that's the first sin. Unbelief. And then she sees the fruit and desires it and digests the fruit. At the end of verse 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And now from this moment, 
the world is fallen. Adam and Eve immediately become ashamed in some sense of their sin. They immediately, in verse 7, begin to attempt works righteousness. And that's essentially what they're doing. They're going to try to cover themselves by their own ingenuity. So they pick uh, the fig leaf, which is a large leaf. So, you know, they, uh, they, uh, we might say they, uh, they tried to be smart about it. They attempt to sew the fig leaves together to make a loincloth to cover themselves, to hide from God. But from this day forward, whatever attempt that man makes, whether it's trying to sew fig leaves together or something that we might say looks a lot more sophisticated, whatever it is, it will never work. We cannot cover ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot hide from God. What lies do you allow in your presence? How do you respond to lies against God. Some of those lies are very subtle and crafty. Some of them are very personally crafted and not easy to answer. What is, what is my place in God's church in worshiping the maker of us all? Why have my sufferings on this fallen earth been so acute? But whatever the questions are and however they come and whatever whatever the tempting lies of the devil are for each one of us, we are called to stand against We are called to keep and guard, just as Adam and Eve were. Adam especially as the federal head who was right next to Eve, who should have thrown the serpent out of the garden, guarding God's holy mountain as he was called to do against the lies and slanders of the devil possessing the animal. But this was not done. And so the fall is upon us. And at this point, uh, we can ask, well, who is to blame then for the fall? Well, the devil is to blame. As we said from John 8, verse 44, uh, the devil is the father of lies. Eve is to blame. She is the one who engaged the devil in friendly conversation, who was the first person to twist the calling of hospitality by entertaining the evil spirit in the garden, which was both God's temple and their home. So as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. But also, and ultimately, Adam is to blame. As the Apostle says in the verses before 1 Timothy 2, verse 14, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12 and 13, Adam was formed first. And Adam, therefore, has a specific representative authority. And so the Apostle Paul says in another place, in Romans chapter 5, speaking about the transgression of Adam, 
Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So the serpent, possessed by the devil, is to blame. Eve is to blame, but ultimately Adam is to blame. And so we rightly say we are fallen in Adam, our representative head. And notice, as the catechism summarizes it, there is mention of the devil's part in question and answer nine at the instigation of the devil. There is a focus upon Adam speaking in the singular, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts, the gifts of paradise lost. We are fallen. We are driven from the garden as the end of chapter 3 makes so clear. And so all three are at fault, even as we rightly say we are fallen in Adam. But with all three being at fault, all three will hear a specific word of punishment. And that is uh, what takes us into our second and then third point, beginning first with the serpent. Punishment, serpent. And now, Lord willing, we'll come back to verses 8 to 13 next week. For now, we go directly to the words of punishment which begin with the serpent, and they begin in verse 14. And, uh, and we might say they begin with an address to, to the animal, in, in a sense. Uh, verse 14 uh, specifies the punishment upon the animal kingdom, even as it's spoken to the serpent who's possessed by the devil. Uh, verse 15 is more focused on the devil, and Lord willing, we'll come back to verse 15 next week. And so uh, notice that the serpent is an animal which is cursed in a specific way. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Uh, notice that in that language, God is, is referencing the fact that, that all livestock are cursed. All of the animal kingdom is now cursed, even as the serpent is especially cursed. And in these verses, 14 to 19, we, we don't get a full list of every single thing that the fall brings. We just get some specifics. But all of the animal kingdom and all of the earth is fallen. Why? Because it's all under the dominion of Adam. And so Adam not only plunges mankind into the fall, Adam takes all of this creation which was put under his dominion with him. The serpent is cursed in a specific way because that was the animal possessed by the devil. And so the form of the serpent changes. In humility, the serpent will crawl and eat the dust. That's, that's figurative. This humility, this new form, eating the dust. Literally and ironically, the snake is the only animal that we know of on this earth that never eats grass or dust. They are the complete reversal of how God made his creatures. Going back to Genesis 1 verse 3, what did the animals have? They did not uh, prey upon each other. It was not red in tooth and claw. No, all the animals used to eat every green plant. Genesis 1 verse 30. So figuratively, the serpent will eat the dust. 
a new and humbling form. Literally, the snake cursed above the rest of creation reverses the peaceful and harmonious even diet that God made for the animals. And uh, literally and ironically, the snake never eats grass, but only preys upon other creatures. Now again, all of the beasts of the field are in view. Just because the serpent is cursed in a specific way does, does not mean the rest are free. Remember, they're all under Adam. They're all under his dominion. And so uh, in Romans chapter 8, the apostle says it this way, the creation itself was not is uh, subjected to futility. And Romans 8.22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. This may have involved some other changes in form. The snake is the only one specified, but other animals may have changed to some degree as well. Or it may have just been change in function. We're just going to give one example. You know, the mosquito is a, is a nasty creature. I mean, right, it's, it's spring. We finally get this warm weather. And you go outside, and what happened on the first 80-degree day that we had the other day? We get all kinds of bug bites. At least my family did. It's like this mosquito is such a nasty creature. You know, the, 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 needle, the needle mouth of the mosquito does not have to suck blood. Physiologically, that's not what the mosquito has to do. You know, mosquitoes still pollinate some specific plants. The mosquito could be a pollinator entirely. But from insects to huge beasts, the curse is everywhere present. And the harmony of creation is broken. And so now mosquitoes do not pollinate. They uh, suck blood. They carry diseases to humans and to creatures. And they cause all kinds of death and pain. Now, some deny the impact of the curse upon the animal realm. And so, uh, for example, uh, John Schneider, he's an emeritus professor from Calvin College. Uh, he wrote a book some time ago, and then he just last month wrote an article in Christianity Today related to his book. And the title of this article, you can find it easily online, is this, Why Does Creation Groan? And in the article, Professor Schneider, speaking about animal suffering, including you know, horrible, painful suffering, and animals do feel pain, at least the, uh, the uh, more noble creatures clearly feel pain. He, he speaks about this animal suffering and disease and where it comes from, and he says this, quote, pre-modern Christian theologians did not find this question of animal suffering hard to answer. Predation, disease, deadly parasites, and violent terrestrial events were all viewed as products of the fall. But revolutionary new developments in the natural sciences have made it difficult to accept that traditional answer. And then so Professor Snyder speaks about those who would even say uh, that God is one who is authorizing the animal suffering so very widespread in, the na in nature. Snyder does not deny this. 
He says that God is an artist. And so we should not deny God the opportunity to author human suffering and to use the inherently brutal means of Darwinian evolution in order to bring about his species. No, in bowing to the idol of Darwinian evolution, Schneider is uh, so intent on being consistent with his own idol that he adds a greater theological error on top of an already great error. And he makes God the author of suffering in order to maintain the idol of our day. God is not the author of suffering. God is not the author of your suffering. God is not the author of any suffering. God is is not the the author of, of the pain in the animal kingdom. God is not the author of your pain. Man's sin is what has plunged us into this painful, sin-cursed world. And let us never blame God for what man has done. The fall is, is the huge problem. We all we all know that some broken things are not as big of a deal as other broken things. And think about like, you know, what if uh, what if there's a you know a, a rear window in in your truck that's broken and just won't go up and down? Well, this that's not a big deal. You don't even really have to fix it because the other windows all work. It's not a big deal. But then, but what if something much bigger breaks? What if uh, what if what if it's harvesting season and 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 the harvester is is not running well that's 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 a bigger thing that's a bigger deal what is genesis 3 genesis 3 tells us about the breaking of this entire universe this is a big deal and it's a breaking which mankind caused, which our first parents, Adam and Eve, caused, which we from Adam share in the trespass. And it's something that we can't fix. We broke it. Only God can fix it. God did not break the world. God made it in perfect harmony and beauty. And God is the one who will restore perfect harmony and beauty. Well, we've already spoken of this somewhat, but now let's focus on on the, the punishment of Adam and Eve. And, and again, Adam is the head of his dominion, so 
to speak about the fall of the animal kingdom is already to speak about the fall of Adam. But uh, there is a focus upon, upon the impact on mankind. And uh, Eve and Adam will each receive a specific word of punishment. And this word will be related to the very place from which they were made. So Eve was made from the rib of, of man. And so there will be specific words of punishment related to her relationship with, with man. Adam was made from the ground. He'll receive specific words of punishment related to his work with the ground. This is though as God is saying, uh, I made everything very good. And uh, including, you know, the very... But now the, the very things from which you were made will, will be uh, some of the, the focal points of the brokenness as now everything is broken. And so Eve, who was uh, made from man, is given a word about her punishment in verse 16. It relates especially to her relationship to her husband and to uh, what was originally a very good gift with no pain, with no death, with no infant mortality. And it's now going to be full of pain. Even when there's a healthy birth, it's going to be full of pain. And then in the very relationship where there was once perfect harmony between the man and the woman, there will now be strife. Instead of loving submission, she will desire uh, the man's position as head of the family. And he will rule over her, but instead of the loving rule of self-sacrificial service, which the husband was made for, the rule of the husband will be full of sin and harshness. Uh, Jason uh, Derushi is a, a Baptist professor. He, he summarizes it well. Quote, contrary desire and corrupted rule are now the norm for marriages under the curse. Instead of submitting to their husbands, wives desire to control them. Instead of lovingly leading their wives, husbands seek to oppress them or just give up and give in. End of quote. Now, next week, we're, we're focusing on mercy. But right here and right now, who, who is the only perfect husband? Who is the only sacrificially loving one who sacrificed himself for his bride? It is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not only the perfect husband, he's also the one who's redeeming to himself the only symbolic perfect bride as he will bring all of his people together as his bride in the new heavens and the new earth to worship him in perfect loving submission under his headship for all eternity. Now, even now, let us learn in Christ to not be party to the curse. And so uh, we'll continue uh, the quote from uh, Professor Derushi, quote, but both desire and rule are redeemed in Christ. Wives learn to align their desires with God's design and husbands learn to rule their households 
with Christ-like self-sacrifice. And as they do, they display the glory of Christ and the church to a world still under the curse. And now I say to each and every one of you, brothers and sisters, uh, again, uh, the curse speaks specifically to the marriage relationship, speaks specifically to Eve's relationship with man from whom she was made. Uh, But this is the calling that each and every one of us has to live as the salt, as the light, to uh, live with first love to God and then the love to our neighbor that we are called to. And, And this is our difficult calling to be the salt, the light in this cursed earth. And in so doing to shine forth the perfect love of Jesus Christ, pointing to him above all else. Now Adam was made from the ground, and so his punishment relates specifically to that, even as, again, this is just, is just a summary with some of the specific points of punishment. Uh, the fall is the breaking of the entire universe by the sin of man. But the ground uh, will now be a place of toil and and thorns. Work which was rewarding and perfect is now full of pain and toil. And then the punishment of death is delayed. We'll speak more about that as, as, as one of the many ways we see mercy right here in Genesis 3. Uh, but though it is delayed... Though God is certainly merciful, he is also just. Question answer 11. And so as God said, death will come. For you are dust, the end of verse 19, and to dust you shall return. And so death is now the way of this world, both physical death from which there is no escape unless Christ comes again, and eternal death from which the only escape is Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we read uh, from Romans 5, verse 6 and 11. And now uh, I turn back to Romans 5 and read verses 17 to 19. And we uh, read there, For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This, brothers and sisters, is the answer to the brokenness of the world, to our own brokenness and sin. May we know this. May this be where we direct others. May we, when we hear those speaking of, of their own suffering, speaking of suffering in, in the animal kingdom, what is, what is all of that? It is all an opportunity to say, yes, this world is broken, but God did not make it that way. And God provides life in His Son. And through His Son, God will restore everything to harmony and beauty and take His people there. Removing our own brokenness and making us part of that harmony and beauty by His work through 
Jesus Christ. This whole world is broken. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, is our Redeemer and will bring redemption for this whole creation. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, our Maker, we pray.